You know, when we open our eyes, creation has so much to teach us, doesn't it? As God created everything, it makes sense to me that part of how God reveals who God is and part of how God sends messages and lessons our way is through nature itself. After all, God made it. And God speaks through nature sometimes in ways that are quite tangible and obvious. But I believe other times God has things to say to us through nature in very subtle ways that require paying very close attention. Many of you know how much I treasure being outside in nature in all kinds of settings. That said, the southwestern part of the U.S. is at the top of my list. The deserts and cliffs and mountains and vast expansive views and flora and fauna all just delight and entrance me. And I must say I have felt God's presence in such places and I have learned some things and I have paid attention and remained open to new ways of thinking and looking at something. You know, when you spend time in western Colorado and happen to find yourself in bone-dry areas with cliffs, you'll likely notice something. Lots of cliffs have trees literally growing on the side of them. It's amazing, as a cliff is not where I would think planting a tree. Would you think of planting a tree on a cliff? Well, out along the Colorado-Utah border, there are amazing cliffs with incredible trees. And the trees that I have seen on the cliffs include juniper trees. Now, I had to look up how on earth such trees grow in such places. Well, here's what one person says. Normally, tree roots grow downwards, but on cliffs, however, roots may follow a lateral crack back into the rock until the roots find a vertical fissure. The roots fan out within the fissure until another crack is found going deeper and deeper. In other words, these trees have figured out how to gain access to nutrients by sending their rocks out into cracks in the rocks. And as I think about how adaptive these trees are and where they grow, I believe it highlights something worth paying attention to. That something, sometimes things can grow under the toughest of conditions. In fact, trees on cliffs not only grow, but they can thrive, even flourish on the side of a barren cliff. What a potent image a thing, a living thing can flourish even when living in a really hard reality. Well, as trees can flourish on rock cliffs, are we not wise to ask ourselves, can we thrive? Can we flourish even when things are tough? Even when life is not going as we would want it to? Even when we have no choice but to deal with something hard? Well, the short answer to these questions is absolutely yes. Easy to do? Absolutely not. Well, today's the first Sunday in Lent. Lent, as you know, is the period which runs from this last Ash Wednesday and through the Saturday right before Easter. And Lent has a long, long history in the church. It used to be a time of preparation for those who were going to be baptized. But it remains a time to reflect upon life and turn back to God with intention and effort. It signals that while life is painful, death is not the final word, but eternal life with God. Lent is not supposed to be a time of 
feeling less than or guilty or shameful, but rather a passage of time in which we are reminded that we are forgiven and loved without bounds. Hence, Lent can become a period of time in which we come clean with God and others. Well, for the six Sundays of Lent this year, my team and I decided that we're going to turn to topics that may not seem like traditional Lenten subjects, like repentance. Yet what we're going to get into is ultimately intended to help us deepen our relationship with God, others, and ourselves, something Lent clearly is about. And what we're going to explore in some detail for the next six weeks is the topic of flourishing. You see, like a juniper tree growing on a cliff, I believe that God wants you and wants me to flourish. God wants us to flourish in this life through thick and thin. And so for this Sunday and each Sunday in Lent, we're going to get into the topic of flourishing, what it means to flourish in life, how to flourish, steps we can take to augment flourishing. And it is our prayer that wherever you are right now in terms of flourishing, that all of us will learn to flourish just a little bit more in the weeks ahead. Now, each week's sermon will get into a different component of flourishing, but don't worry, each week's sermon and topic is self-contained. So they're all related, but they're all self-contained. Well, to help us get started for a few moments, we need to define flourishing, what God has to say about it, what science and psychology have to offer us, what flourishing is not about. And today we're going to get into just one aspect of flourishing, which has to do with positive emotions. Now the word flourish itself comes from, a, from 14th century words that mean blossom, flower, bloom, prosper. Dictionaries define flourishing as thriving, gaining new heights, growing in a vigorous way, expanding. Picture a, a beautiful plant busting out with blossoms. That's what flourishing means. Scripture, though, is really clear that God wants us to flourish. If you look at Scripture, this is clearly something God desires for us. Here are a few examples. One day Jesus was teaching, and in John's Gospel, from various translations, Jesus says, I have come so you can have real and eternal life, more and better than you ever dreamed of. I have come so you can live life to the fullest. In other words, Jesus said that he wants us to flourish. But we know that Jesus did not just teach, he healed. Why did Jesus heal? Yes, so people would follow him. Yes, so people would learn about God's power and love. But Jesus healed people so people could flourish, even in difficult times. Jesus freed people, liberated people. And day after day after day, Jesus changed people and transformed lives so people would have a relationship with him, but so that people would flourish. Then there was Paul, and Paul in his letters to the early Christian communities wrote letters with guidance and suggestions and admonitions and encouragements and appeals because Paul wanted those early Christian communities to flourish. Paul even wrote to the people of Corinth who were having a hard time. He reminded them that God would renew their spirits so that the community at Corinth could flourish. In the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, 
God creates everything and then makes it clear that God wants humankind to care for the earth so it will thrive, so that God's creation would flourish. And then in Psalm 92, we find the godly will flourish like palm trees and grow strong like the cedars of Lebanon. So one key theme I've just skimmed across the surface is that God wants us to flourish individually and perhaps more importantly, collectively. Well, as we dig a bit deeper into flourishing, it's important to point out what's been happening in the field of psychology. Now, some of you know when I was uh, in school a long time ago working on my PhD in the 1980s in psychology, one thing was very apparent in the clinical field of psychology at the time. The entire goal of the field, the entire goal focus of research and practice was to work toward understanding and treating mental illnesses. A very worthy, life-changing, essential goal. And we talk about mental health all the time here. Encourage people to get help and mental health treatment. That said, a clinician and a researcher named Martin Seligman, near the beginning of this century, realized something. As one person writes about Seligman, Seligman grew frustrated with psychology's overly narrow focus on the negative. So much attention was paid to mental illness, abnormal psychology, psychology, trauma, suffering, and pain. Now again, that's not a bad focus because we've learned so much and we've made a lot of progress in the treatment of mental illness, thank God. However, psychology has historically ignored another aspect of human life. One person writes, not many people paid much attention to well-being, growth, and flourishing. For the last 20 plus years, fortunately, that has changed with the birth of the field of what's known as positive psychology. And the topic of flourishing comes under this area of research and practice. Again, as one person notes, the purpose of positive psychology and the study of flourishing is not to replace traditional psychology and its focus, but rather to complement it. Now, as Jesus followers, I believe the secular field of psychology has a lot to teach us, and a lot of it is God-given. I believe we are well served by embracing all we can garner from science and psychology. And talking about flourishing is part of our effort to do just that. I also believe during this difficult time in our country and in our world, in the midst of our own personal challenges and all we have been through the last couple of years, that God invites us to spend some of our bandwidth on learning how to flourish more and more each day. Well, given this is the case, Seligman and others from whom I now quote in adapted form have this to say about flourishing. Flourishing is about how we live, love, and relate to each other. Flourishing is the product of the pursuit and engagement of an authentic life that brings joy, meaning, purpose through the peaks and valleys in life. Flourishing is about having a life well-lived. Now Seligman in his research on flourishing came up with five aspects of what it means to flourish. Others have added lots of other ideas. And so in this series, we're going to take a look at six components of what it means to flourish. 
five of which come from Seligman's work. And as we are Jesus followers, we're going to flesh out the concepts that come from research and put them specifically within our Christian context. Now, while Seligman's work and that of others does not necessarily start from a faith perspective, all the points we're going to talk about are clearly consistent with our walk with Jesus, Scripture itself, and our Christian tradition. Just a few more things to touch on about flourishing in general. Flourishing is not a static state. It's something we have to work on with intention, day in and day out. Also, flourishing, and this is really important, does not mean we deny pain. Doesn't mean that we don't delve into painful emotions. Doesn't mean we ignore hurts and grief and struggles. Flourishing is not about avoiding tough stuff. In fact, we can be depressed, divorced, ill, physically challenged and the like, and still flourish. Now, as an aside, when we're in an acute crisis, or suffering from acute grief, or under attack, the first step is not to think about flourishing. It's just to make it through and survive with the love of God and the love and help of other people. So I just want to acknowledge that if you're in a place of tremendous crisis today, I'm not going to sit with you and talk about flourishing. I'm going to sit with you in your pain, in your emotions. Flourishing is something we can get to later. So flourishing is not about acute, acute difficulty and pain. Flourishing is also not a new self-help movement. And I'm very clear that flourishing begins with a relationship with God. And finally, flourishing is not about toxic positivity. Maybe you've heard the phrase. Here's how Kendra Cherry defines toxic positivity. Toxic positivity is the belief that no matter how dire or difficult a situation is, people should just remain positive and upbeat. While there are benefits to optimism and positive thinking, toxic positivity rejects difficult emotions. This kind of positivity is all about ignoring, stuffing, running from, and not dealing with painful emotions. It happens when we're going through something really hard and someone says, just look at the bright side. But we're human beings with hearts. We're human beings made out of flesh. And to deny hard emotions is not to live fully and certainly not what flourishing is about. In fact, I would suggest if we were Pollyannish in life, if we avoid facing tough feelings directly, if we're not willing to work through tough stuff, sometimes with a lot of help, it's not possible to flourish. So with all of this in mind, very briefly, let's conclude today by looking at one key component necessary to flourish, and that component is positive emotions. And one thing I just want to say about positive emotions is, you've heard me talk before about how life is really like a painter's palette with different colors that we can have positive emotions in one part of the palette even while we're having darker feelings going on at the same time. They're not mutually exclusive. It's evident that to flourish, we need to build the experience of positive emotions into our daily routine. 
to allow ourselves to feel pleasure, to allow ourselves to feel joy. Positive emotions include happiness about something or someone just for a moment, finding joy in the moment. And I would add that part of experiencing positive emotions is creating the space and the time to sit with God, experiencing God's presence and taking in God's love and forgiveness. Again, to build positive emotions into our lives is not about toxic positivity. I also want to add that positive emotions alone won't lead to flourishing. They're just part of it. Well, that said, here are some thoughts on how to build more positive emotions into our daily lives. Things that I invite you to consider doing. All of this comes from really great research. Again, consistent with our faith. Seligman created a simple way of building positive emotions called Three Blessings. And I'm amazed at, at what the findings show. And here's what the strategy of Three Blessings is all about. You take a week, and every day before going to bed, spend just a few minutes, and you write down three things that went very well that day and why. Three things that went, went very well and why. They can be big or small, it does not matter. Example, today, a good thing. I had a good talk with someone on the phone. Why? Because it's important for me to share what's going on with people that care about me. Something good. Someone thanked me for doing something for them. Why? Because I care about people and I like helping people out. Something good. I smiled and talked for a minute with a store clerk and she smiled. Why? Because it's not hard to make people feel valued and I like doing that. I got a raise today. Why? Because I work hard. Doing this for one week, research has shown, has a dramatic impact on people experiencing positive emotions. It shifts, helps us to shift gears. There are a ton of studies that show that this three blessing strategy contributes to positive emotions. Here's some other very simple selections, um, suggestions. Let's call one approach making a gratitude connection. And this is amazing. In this strategy, email, call, text, or write a note to someone with the sole purpose of saying, thank you. That's the whole purpose. Doing three of those connections a week changes and increases our positive emotions. It also is a way of loving other people, as God would have us do, making a gratitude connection. It's amazing what we get back. Another way of increasing positive emotions is, is called a loving-kindness prayer. For a quiet, find a quiet spot just for a moment or two. Visualize somebody who you know well or have just met. Hold them up and imagine God's love enfolding them. Just picture that. Ask God to surround that person in love, the love of God. Ask God to help that person experience God's love and healing power. Picture that person being touched by the love of God. That kind of prayer for the benefit of others increases our positivity and helps us to flourish. Another strategy that's pretty obvious is engage in savoring. To savor food or a beverage or the beauty of a view 
or a small plant or an icicle. Outside my office, there are a ton of icicles. Half the time, they nearly kill me. But the other day, I was looking at them and just taking in the sunlight that was hitting me, just savoring that for a moment. Savoring is a way of showing gratitude to God for God's creation. Obviously, another approach is to delve into Scripture and look up the word joy. You will be amazed what God has to say about joy. Paul wrote to the people of Rome. He prayed, I pray that God will fill you with joy. Paul also wrote one day that he prayed that the Spirit of God would work through people. And one way that people would know that God was working through them was when they experienced joy. In the book of Proverbs, the writer states, joy is good medicine. And Jesus, on the last night of his life, said he wanted his followers to be joyful. So I believe God invites us to pursue joy and joyfulness. What brings you joy? Finally, and something that will say each week, I believe that the key to flourishing is to connect and to stay connected to Jesus. Our reading today is about the vine. And Jesus says that I am the vine, you are the branches. Jesus said that when we stay connected with him, we will produce much fruit. In other words, we will flourish. So while positive emotions alone don't lead to flourishing, they're clearly a fundamental aspect. Next week, we'll get into some other stuff. But for now, keep it simple. Be intentional just this week with something simple. Maybe one of my suggestions or something else you come up with. But think about being intentional about allowing yourself to create the space of experiencing some positive emotion. Not denying the tough stuff. Not denying the dark feelings that are on that painter's palette. But allow yourself to experience those positive emotions. I'd love to hear from any of you about how it goes. And remember this. Each of us can flourish in life, sometimes with help, but each of us can flourish even when we find ourselves on a barren cliff, just like a juniper tree. And let us pray.